All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Daily Face-Off Show, a playoff edition. It is Friday, May 6th. It is day five of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Matt Larkin, how are you holding up? Well, I'm glad you said day five, Frank, because I needed that marker. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. I got round one fever. I'm up all night, but it's so much fun. So how can you not stay up and watch it all? Yeah, day five of about 55 or 60. We'll see how many there end up being this year. Certainly a lot more in store. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock. And let's start with a couple of teams that evened up their series in pretty convincing fashion on Thursday evening. That would be the Florida Panthers and the New York Rangers, both winning. And I guess you could kind of call blowouts. I wouldn't say necessarily the same for the Rangers, but they certainly took full advantage of Louis the King Deming, the Pittsburgh Penguins' third goaltender being in that but let's start with the Panthers the offensive juggernaut the team that set the salary cap era record for goals scored in a single season certainly seemed to find their stride Matt what were the positive signs that you took away what did you like most about what you saw from Florida on Thursday night yeah, I think it was just a dominant effort from start to finish. It's the emphatic effort you needed to see from the President's Trophy winning team. I thought Sergei Bobrovsky was a major standout, not in terms of him carrying the game, but the fact that he bounced back. It's very important. You knew he was looking over his shoulder after game one. I had that stat earlier that among all goalies with 10 career playoff games active, lowest save percentage is Sergei Bobrovsky. So you need him to be that, that backbone. Also, I thought just the star power shown through the Panthers. They're one of the deepest, most stacked teams in the NHL. And you saw that beautiful setup from Jonathan Rupido 
to Alexander Barkov, highlight real stuff. And the Panthers, they do have that ability to bust out plays like that at any given time. I think the Washington Capitals as well, really missing Tom Wilson. And they don't have that edge. That's supposed to be one of Washington's advantages in the series, their size and strength. Without Tom Wilson, they don't look like the same team to me. Yeah, Vitek Vanacek certainly seemed to struggle a little bit in game two. Be interesting to see what Peter Laviolette, who loves to flip-flop his goaltenders, does for game three. Does he go back to Ilya Samsonov uh, for his first start of the Stanley Cup playoffs? You know, it's amazing this year, Matt, how many different goaltenders have been used and we're only four nights in. What about the New York Rangers? Speaking of goaltending, we mentioned Louis Domingue and Net the... Pittsburgh Penguins had Domingue in net, and the guy that was their backup was Alex DiOrio, who essentially lost his job earlier this season in the ECHL, the sixth goaltender on their organizational depth chart. And yet the Penguins are able to kind of hang in it a bit until the end. The Rangers certainly get a little bit of a more emphatic effort uh, converted on more chances. But the Penguins, the interesting thing for me, Matt, is if – even though this series is tied 1-1, I'm certainly not willing to say that the Rangers are in the driver's seat as the series shifts to Pittsburgh, largely because they haven't demonstrated to me yet that they can keep Sidney Crosby in check. Yeah, I agree with you. And to me, this series is exactly how I expected it to play out so far. The Rangers have more star power. They have the goaltender. They can steal the series. The Penguins are the better five-on-five team. And you see it. The chances in the series have been pretty even. We knew goaltending was going to be the difference, whether it was Tristan Jari or Casey DeSmith or now Louis Domingue. It was the advantage the Rangers were always going to have. And you look at game two, the score sheet was in their favor, of course, but the territorial play was pretty even. We also knew the Rangers, they're very reliant on their power play. They're a pretty mediocre team at five on five this year. Very good power play. They do get one of their goals in game two on the power play. So I'm expecting it to sort of stay this way where the Penguins are going to be the team that generates maybe more chances, keeps the play pretty even, especially five on five. But the Rangers star power, I think, is eventually going to start sort of shine through and eventually put them through in the series. But it's going to be close, I think, back and forth. Yeah, it's, I'm sure Rangers fan had their hearts in their throats when they saw Igor Shesterkin go down with that sort of freak play collision with Jeff Carter uh, with just a couple minutes left in regulation with the Rangers up by three goals. Let's talk about another goaltending performance, and that would be Connor Ingram from the Nashville Predators. What a story that was on Thursday night. What a story his career has been. He's battled through a lot. If you were to pick a standout player, though, from that game, would the award have gone to Connor Ingram or would it have gone to Kale McCarr? Well, Kale McCarr, it's funny. I used to say a couple years ago that Eric Carlson was the most offensively dominant player of the generation of maybe a 25-year span. And now I feel a little bit silly because Kale McCarr is doing things that I don't think we've seen since early career Brian Leach, maybe even Paul Coffey going back to the 80s. It's, it's generational. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic by saying that. He has the ability to control a game, to see the ice in ways that I don't know if any other defenseman in the last 20 years has been able to do. It blows me away. That said, you got to love what Ingram's doing. And to me, it's fun. It's, you know, when you're a third string goalie, it's a low pressure situation. You're coming in, you're not expected to do anything, especially against Colorado. If you succeed, you're a hero. And the Preds got doubled up, almost doubled up in shots in that game. It's crazy the fact that they had a chance to win it. Extremely impressive from Connor Ingram. Yeah, and we just touched on Kale McCarr. 23 shot attempts, finally scores on his 23rd of the night to be the overtime hero. My question to you about the Preds as they had their doors blown off in game one, 
Was this the best punch they could throw at the Avs? Is there any chance? Do they have any hope as the series shifts to Nashville to maybe win a game? Their best punch is going to be their literal punch, and that's in Game 3. This is the toughest team in the NHL. They lead the NHL in hits, in fights, in penalty minutes. They have to drag Colorado down to the dirt. Game 3 is the pivotal game of this series. You're going to have the Smashville crowd behind you, and you have to get ugly. You have to force Colorado to play a chippy, ugly game, and you have to take advantage of the fact that the Avalanche have a ticking time bomb on that roster during playoff games, and his name is Nazem Kadri. If you're someone like Tanner Janot, you've got to find a way get under his skin, force Colorado to play that sort of filthy, scrappy style. And if Nashville doesn't show that in game three, there's no hope in this series. Ticking time bomb. That's one way to describe Nazem Kadri. He said earlier this series, he just wants to avoid being, quote, that guy. So hmm, it'll be interesting to see if he can, you know, not just round one, at some point in the playoffs, does he have some sort of explosion that crosses the line? I would imagine after it's happened so many times that he will find some kind of way to avoid that. And if he can, I think the abs are going to be so much stronger. Finally healthy this year, Matt, to see this team firing on all cylinders has been really something to watch through the first two games of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's talk about the Calgary Flames. Their offense, not firing on all cylinders. One goal in two games for the Flames as they head to Texas, now even up uh, with the Dallas Stars after two games at the Dome. And you look at it, What's your level of concern for the Flames offense? You know, I'm thinking back to the time these two met in the Stanley Cup playoff bubble a couple years back. Not a lot of offensive production from the Flames stars then. And when you look at Johnny Gaudreau and and Elias Lindholm and all these guys, Kachuk and Gaudreau had 100-point seasons this year. Why is it that the Flames haven't been able to generate more? And are you concerned moving forward? I am a little concerned and there's a great tweet I saw. It was from a Stars fan. It said something like, we may not be that good, but we're going to make sure you aren't either when you play us. I love that. And it's very true because the Dallas very Stars New Jersey have Devils imposed- them. Exactly. It's very true. It's a throwback to the Jacques Lemaire Devils. They're imposing their sort of low event style of hockey on the Flames. And I do think it's concerning, especially for one particular reason. So we know the narrative about Johnny Gaudreau coming into these playoffs is the officials put the whistles away. There's less space out there and he struggles. But in this case, one of the defining narratives of the playoffs so far is the officials are not putting their whistles away. They're calling Mm -hmm. so far the rulebook very similarly to the regular season. The Flames have eight power plays in two games. So we can't blame it on the chippy sort of tight play. I think we're just seeing the inability so far of the Flames scorers to step up. And I'm not just talking about the first line. I'm talking about the secondary scorers as well. Tyler Toffoli going back to the regular season, 12 games without a goal. Andrew Mangiapane, six games without a goal. So everybody in that top six forward group has to find a way to get past the great Mira Heiskanen, find a way to penetrate and put some pucks past Jake Gottinger. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't been able to do more. And you talk about narratives. When does that sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that everyone had been talking about it heading in? You don't do it through the first two games. And then it becomes really a mental grind after that, thinking, okay, when are we going to break through? And, you know, you begin squeezing your stick. The pressure's on you, especially if you get down in the series. Things could kind of go sideways in the hurry in a hurry for a Flames team that have a lot of expectations heading into this series as the Pacific Division champs. 
It's true. And it's funny, there's always been a parallel I've seen between Johnny Gaudreau's playoff experience and Mitch Marner out east. They're both similar players in terms of guys that have a lot of space in the regular season and they can't get it done in the playoffs before Mitch Marner finally in game one did it. But there was a lot of talk after the game about all these similar chances he had in previous years where, he, like you said, he was squeezing the stick too tightly, he was pressing and he couldn't get it done. And maybe we're seeing something similar with Johnny Gaudreau. These are human beings. They can let things get to them. Self-fulfilling prophecies are real. And I do think when you're pressing, you're a little bit less likely to convert some of your chances. Which is why I thought it was so big for Mitch Marner to break through in game one, ending that 18-game goal drought. So that brings us to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning, along with the Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues, who shift uh, to their second spot in the series uh, in Tampa and in St. Louis. My question to you is we've had two two games so far to open each of these series where they've been blowouts for the other team. The, the Lightning were up pretty significantly over the Leafs in game two. Uh, the Wild got off to a great start in game one and, and the, the Minnesota, uh, sorry, the Blues got off to a great start in game one and the Wild returned favor in game two. Which one of these teams has the ability or which one of these series in fact has the ability to tighten things up when it comes to game three and finally give us a close game maybe with a little bit of drama I think we're going to see that in the Tampa-Toronto series because those two teams have been more measured during the regular season. They're both great offensive clubs, but they were both top 10 defensive clubs, give or take. The Leafs not in goals because their goaltending let them down, but I'm talking allowing chances, things like that, right? So both teams were more measured. I think the Leafs are adjusting a little bit because they're a disciplined team in the regular season. It's being called differently in the playoffs. They're clearly having trouble with that. But if you look at the Blues Wild Series, the Blues, they play some fire wagon hockey, man. This is the worst defensive team in the playoffs. They were on paper. The Blues had 28 victories by more than three goals this season. The Minnesota Wild had 22 victories by more than three goals. So I think that's going to continue, especially with the injuries the Blues have to their defense. We know Nick Letty, Marco Scandella, Robert Bertuzzo, all are banged up and they've called up Steven Santini. So it's, I think, probable at least one of those defensemen is sitting. So I think the barn burners are going to continue when it comes to the St. Louis Blues and Minnesota Wild. Yeah, the injuries on defense really loom large. You mentioned Scandella. Bortuzzo took that puck to the face. So when you've got guys that are coming in like Nico Mikola and Steven Santini, you know, it's a pretty big drop off from the guys that should be in the lineup. So if, if you're talking half of the Blues defense core is out, um, I would think that that's a pretty significant advantage for the Minnesota Wild. Now, you've sort of been knocking against the Blues for a while. In our playoff preview, you called them a paper tiger. Even if they were fully healthy, you didn't really like them against the Wild in the series anyway? Yep, that's right. Because if you look at their hot play, and I'm going to put air quotes on it, hot play down the stretch, it was really propelled by a lucky shooting percentage. They were not actually improving their play. They were bleeding scoring chances, but they got better goaltending from Billy Huso, Jordan Bennington. And their slump earlier before that in March was when their goaltending took a dip. So really, I think their success this season has sort of been, the roller coaster has been dictated by goaltending, but they have not repaired their defensive woes. They're a team that gives up far too many chances. Be interesting to see how these game threes play out. Let's go to the All 32 this week, a special edition with John Goyens getting a little coaching insight.
That's right. Pleased to welcome John Goyens to the Daily Faceoff Show. Former Quebec Major Junior Hockey League coach is a skills coach and development coach with a number of current NHL players. And we're lucky to have him on the Daily Faceoff Show and DailyFaceoff.com as a special Stanley Cup playoff contributor as the playoffs move along. This is the All-32 delivered by DoorDash. And so, John, let's start here. We've got a number of clips to get to where you can help illustrate your points but when talking, a, a big buzzword in the playoffs is identity and how important it is for a team to play to their identity that help them be successful in the regular season. Who are some of the best teams at sticking to their identity and, and what helped them get there and, and what stands out to you? Well, I think obviously uh, you look at Colorado, speed, speed, speed. You know, they've got the puck on their stick a ton. They're going to transition the play quickly and, and they're not really going to give it up so much. Um, but you're also going to look at teams like Carolina with their forecheck. So here on, a, on this clip, for example, they place and chase. They don't recover the puck, but they're so dogged on their forecheck that they recover the puck. They're going to go low to high. Boston's kind of running around. And what do they got? They've got four, three, four bodies at the net. Here you got the Rangers embracing a place and chase type of situation. Get Pittsburgh turned around. Willing in, willingness to get physical, especially on defensemen that played a ton of minutes in game one in a triple overtime game. Again, net presence, Kreider recovering pucks. Uh, nobody's holding on to pucks uh, for long periods of time. A lot of exchanges, a lot of net presence. And again, off a of four check, you've got a goal. Here you've got the overtime winning goal. And in, in my key battlegrounds, it was... It was uh, the fact that Pittsburgh's got a lot of championship experience and they were not phased by giving up a shorthanded goal. Here they are on the forecheck, steal the puck, net presence again, getting the puck in deep. The reality is if you have an identity, that's nice, but also embracing what makes teams successful in the playoffs is playing 200 feet away from your net. So again, Toronto doesn't actually recover the puck here, but they're so dogged again on the on the forecheck. And this is their first goal late in the period in game number one. Now you're going to see Colorado and you're going to see Edmonton transition and speed. And with Edmonton, I did mention in key battlegrounds, if Right there, L.A. chases outside dots. They're going to pay the price. Colorado clip. They just went up one nothing. It took them eight seconds to score their first power play goal right off the next draw. When you've got defensemen that can skate, which they have a ton of skating defensemen, everybody's a threat. And you see how quickly Devon Taves gets up the ice, a little bit of a chip play right here, and you let that momentum just uh, carry you to the back of the net. John, you, you've got a great piece on dailyfaceoff.com right now about momentum and the correlation, especially with momentum and special teams. And we've seen five shorthanded goals already in the playoffs. There were eight all of last season in the entire playoffs. So why is that important? What's the significance of all these shorties? Well, I think one major area is, especially if you get a shorthanded goal against the, the first power play unit, who are you frustrating? You know, like when a power play unit uh, doesn't score, and it's a PP2, that's one thing. But when a penalty killing unit is constantly frustrating PP1, who are you frustrating? You're frustrating the stars. And that could bleed throughout your lineup. And right now you see, a, 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 for example, in this clip, they're down to nothing. Their power play hasn't been clicking. They started bit virtually with seven minutes of power play in the first period. And this is a situation where Tampa can maybe claw back into the game Unlikely. They give up a, a breakaway and it's going the other way. Out of all those shorthanded goals, 
four of which have been scored, three of which, sorry, have been scored by teams that have won games. Here again, you have a close game up the ice. Connor McDavid on the tail end of the PK up against a PP unit. No disrespect to the PP2 of LA, but a lot of, you know, young guys, a lot of youth. You see Byfield getting beat on the wall. You see Jordan Spence getting beat on the transition. And next thing you know, it's in the back of the net. So I, I think it's this yin and yang of of uh, creating frustration also for the stars. And having spoken to a coach just before I hopped on, do we remember a more important shorthanded goal in last year's playoffs than Yanni Gord's one nothing series clinching goal in game seven? No bigger goal, I think, in, in the first three rounds last year. Yeah, it's amazing, John, how many shorties have been scored already to start these playoffs. Um, in that same vein, speaking of some momentum and, and one of the things discussed in your piece today on dailyfaceoff.com, it was the idea of, you know, does a team need a power play to have a successful percentage or to rank highly in the playoffs in order to go on a deep run or to win the Stanley Cup? Well, really, the question you raised is, should we be measuring a team's power play or penalty kill, frankly, for that matter, by the timing of which it gets results instead of the percentage itself. Yeah, I, I think the timing and, and you know, this is not something where I'm going to speak in absolutes and, and just hide in a dark corner and just come up with concepts through my network. I'm just, you know, whether it's an, uh, an American Hockey League head coach I was speaking to yesterday or that NHL head coach that I was speaking to before getting on, everybody gets back to me and they all believe in timing. And right now you look at Toronto, they're 10% on the power play, but everybody was talking about Spencer Carberry taking that time out with obviously Sheldon Keefe taking the time out, but Spencer Carberry drawing up a play, a play that they have used recently here in the regular season and scoring at five on three. So everybody's thinking, wow, their power plays. But the reality is that's their only power play goal so far. So the timing of this is, is unbelievable because it just, they allow themselves to now ride the wave of that momentum going forward. Um, without it, maybe Toronto starts getting frustrated because you, you're also a power play with their five studs that are all forwards. Yeah, really interesting. That timeout was so uh, pivotal in that game one to take that and take advantage and not only just keep your top unit rested and healthy on the ice to take advantage of the two-man advantage, but then to make it 2 nothing as well on the scoreboard uh, was so key. This has been some fantastic insight from John Goyens. You can continue to read his work and check him out on the Daily Faceoff show as the playoffs continue. Uh, we're happy to have you here on the All 32 delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen dfodd if you're in canada dfodd us if you're in the united states four playoff games on tonight you don't want to cook all your favorites and more delivered right to your door by doordash thanks john All right, Matt, it's time for our Daily Faceoff inbox question of the day. Hashtag ask DFO. And the question is, which underdog so far in the playoffs has impressed you the most? Well, I have my real answer and my cheeky answer. The real answer we've, we've covered already. It's the Dallas Stars. I think they have done a great job imposing their will and their style of play on Calgary. That's the true answer, okay? But if I'm going to get cheeky, 
I'm going to say the Toronto Maple Leafs because, yes, in my mind, they were the underdog going into the series against the two-time defending champs. And just the nature of that game one win, it was as dominant as I've ever seen the Leafs play a playoff game against a big-time opponent. I couldn't believe just how much they controlled that game and the pace and the momentum. So that's my underdog story so far in round one. Uh, very cheeky, but in fact, in sports books, the Tampa Bay Lightning and Toronto Maple Leafs, the Leafs in some books actually ended up opening as the favorite. Uh, my answer would actually be the Los Angeles Kings getting that game one win in Edmonton. Significant heavy underdogs to start out that series. The way that um, Deneau was able to assert himself, um, you know, obviously the, the the Oilers in some ways, you know, did themselves in with the gaff from Mike Smith, but. Be really curious to see how the Kings respond on home ice, what Todd McClellan ends up trying to do with the matchup game. I don't know that the Oilers are necessarily out of the woods yet. So uh, my answer would be the Kings. And speaking of books that uh, end L.A., well, let's go out to L.A. right now and bring in Tyler Uremchuk for our daily face-off, daily bet segment. Uh, Tyler, you are going to be at games three and four at Crypto.com Arena, uh, watching the Oilers take on the Los Angeles. Kings, how did you do last night in your daily face-off picks? Not great. Not great, Frank. I uh, finished the day one for two, so I'm down 3.1 units to start the playoffs. But as we learned in the regular season, when I dip down, I usually start shooting back up at some point. So here's to hoping tonight is the beginning of a little bit of a heater. So let's jump into it, courtesy of our friends over at Points Bet Canada. And uh, I am starting with that Edmonton-LA matchup you talked about. And Edmonton, throttled the LA Kings in game two, six, nothing, the final. And I don't think they're beating the Kings by six again, but I do think Edmonton is a pretty decent spot here. Specifically, if you take them in regulation at plus 100, that's implied odds of 50%. And I think Edmonton has a better than 50% shot at winning this game. The Kings, they were a pretty average home team this season, winning just 21 of their 42 games. Now at the same time, Edmonton only won 21 of their 42 road games. But my point is, I don't think the Kings have a distinct home ice advantage this year. So I do like taking Edmonton in regulation at plus 100. I think the value is there. I'm also going with Victor Hedman to pick up an assist as my player prop. He had three of them last game. So why not take him at plus 125? I think Tampa should keep scoring. I know Jack Campbell had the shot out in game one and i'm not saying again you know similar to the oilers i'm not saying tampa's gonna go score five or six goals in this hockey game but i do think they'll be able to keep their offense going and taking headman to get an assist at minus 125 seems like a good spot one encouraging thing the lightning power play three for seven last game so it's showing that the fact they were quiet in game one maybe that was a bit of an anomaly if their power play can keep going headman should be a part of it minus 125 for an apple that's a good spot taking that and the oilers plus 100 in regulation frank Hedman was an absolute beast in game two for the oh, Bolts. Uh, really uncharacteristic and off night in game one, probably as bad as I've seen him look in a while. So to see him bounce back for the Lightning was a big deal. So uh, good pick on your part for the assist. We'll see how it plays out. And uh, Kings in regulation, I'm sure. Or sorry, Oilers in regulation. I'm sure you would Oilers. love to see that in LA. So thank you to Tyler. Enjoy game three. And that brings us to garbage time with Matt. Matt Larkin. Matt, the floor is yours. What's caught your attention? What's caught your eye from around the National Hockey League? Well, it's caught my eye and it, and it grinds my gears. There's a familiar refrain whenever we have the goaltender interference debate and you see it all the time. Does anyone understand goalie interference? No one knows what it is. Uh, I do. I don't think it's hard to understand. I don't think it's hard to understand at all. I'm going to take you through a little checklist, Frank, of how to do it. Okay. 
You watch the replay, step one. Step two, you first look for the obvious simple evidence. Did the skater impede the goaltender in a way that directly led to the goal? Was there obvious contact? Was there no one around the skater? If that's the case, there's no one around him, of course, you disallow the goal. Was the skater pushed? That's where it gets a little bit complicated. If he was pushed and he was clearly trying to make an effort to get out of the way, then it's no goal. Or sorry, it is a goal in that case because it's not the skater's fault. But to me, if you're seeing a skater who's not making an effort to get out of the way, whose skates are angling toward the net and sort of prioritizing the scoring chance and not making an effort to factor in the goaltender in his way, that's a disallowed goal. People went crazy over Capo Caco the other night. I don't think it was a difficult call. His skates angled during the scoring chance toward the net, and he got pushed by Brian Dumoulin, but he got pushed late. He was already arriving at the crease. So to me, I just don't think it's hard to understand. It's pretty simple. Not for me. I, I, I'm raising my hand over here saying I, I truly still now, I think you could flip a coin on so many of these calls and that's what it comes down to almost every time. You know, I look at the Capo Caco, uh, what should have been a goal to end regulation in game one. I, I fully disagree with you. The player should be focused on the scoring chance. If he's pushed, it's not the onus isn't on him to avoid the goaltender if he never had any intention on actually hitting the goaltender, which is when I watched the replay, it's clear that was actually the case. So um, I personally thought that that should have been an allowed goal. Um, and in this case, it ended up being overturned. Um, I, I just I don't see the consistency there. Uh, to say that we we fully know at this point what goaltender interference is and isn't. I still think there is a fair amount of responsibility for the skater to get out of the goalie's way or at least not impede the goalie because otherwise you could just skate with your head down and crash into the goalie every time and say, well, yeah, I was not when on you're the pushed. Yeah, when you're pushed, but same thing. When you're pushed, there's still a responsibility to be focusing on the scoring chance. And otherwise, if you get pushed, you let yourself fall into the goaltender. There's no effort to get out of the way. I think that's why it's called. That is the way it's called. That's the reason why that's, the goal was that's disallowed. Literally, why he was pushed, though. Yeah, but still, even if you're pushed, you feel this, the hand of the, the, the checker on you, there's still a responsibility to make an effort. That's what they're looking for, right? If that wasn't the case, it would have been a goal, but it wasn't. That's what I tell people all the time on Twitter. If I'm so wrong, then how come that was the call in the game that was made by the people whose job it is to make these calls? Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll, in this case, agree to disagree. Be interesting to see how many goalie interference calls. You know, I should track these throughout the playoffs uh, and we should text each other. Hey, you know, see see how you're doing on your on your predictions in terms of what they will and won't be. It'd be fun to do it in real time. So much action over the weekend, Matt. That'll do it for this edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. But we've got a number of Game 3s, Friday night, Saturday night, and who knows, by the time we talk again on Monday... One team's season may already be over a short stay in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, Matt, great job by you. Thanks to John Goyans as well as Tyler Ramchuk. And wanted to give a little love and shout out to our boy Mike McKenna, who will be the ice level analyst on TBS tonight for the late game between the Kings and the Oilers. It's his first time between the benches. So uh, watch alongside and see our pal Mike McKenna. And uh, we'll all be watching along, Matt. Uh, enjoy the games and enjoy your weekend. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Hey. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.